I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi there and welcome to the Stop Club podcast, coming to you from the top floor of my Wall Street HQ here in Dublin, Ireland. In this week's episode, we're going to talk about the companies that are trying to fix the healthcare system, Facebook's content moderation problem, and the two companies we'd like to invest in if big tech is broken up. So here with me today is Emmett, who's back from his holidays. Hello. Seems like you're away for a while. And yeah. Rory. And we also have a special guest here today, Colm, one of our My Wall Street subscribers. How are you? Who's uh, here for a week, seeing what we do here at My Wall Street. Um, so let's go. If you kick- figure it out, let us know. <laughs> <laughs> so let's kick off with some recent news. Rory, what are you talking about today? Yeah, it's not so much recent news as it's an article I came across in the New Yorker. I was in an airport recently, so my new thing when I'm in an airport is to buy a glossy mag, and this time it was the New Yorker. And there was an article in there called The Hidden Cost of GoFundMe Healthcare, written by Nathan Heller. And um, it didn't occur to me, obviously we don't, we're not in America, but it never occurred to me, I know what GoFundMe is, I think everyone does, it's one of these um, websites where you can set up a fund for a particular purpose and, and it's been used kind of famously after the Pulse nightclub yeah. massacre. Yeah. Uh, a GoFundMe campaign was set up for the victims and the victims and their families and that raised about $8 million. There was also a fund set up for the Time's Up Legal Defence Fund for victims of sexual assault that's raised $25 million. But actually a third of all the money that's raised on GoFundMe is for medical expenses. Yeah. Which uh, I suppose, as the article points out, isn't surprising given that the United States has the highest overall healthcare cost in the developed world. And since 2008, health insurance deductibles have increased eight times as quickly as wages. Yeah, it's, it's something you see quite a lot on things like Twitter and Facebook. I suppose you see all these fundraisers for certain people suffering from certain illnesses. Yeah, and so, I mean, the article focuses around a family, and a Jewish family living out in California who had twins, both of which had something called Canavan's disease, uh, which is an awful disease, and, and there's no real cure for it at the moment and it's incredibly expensive to to even treat in terms of trying to um, make it you know livable with yeah um, and they set up a GoFundMe campaign with the hopes of raising I think it was three three million dollars yeah um, and just and you know they raised quite a lot of money and they had a huge support from their own community and uh, a local charity even uh, agreed to take on the case so that all the deductions were charged uh, tax deductible and they still didn't make it anywhere close to it and the whole the article really focuses on how these campaigns are really driven by the narrative and how, you know, if you have a good story, you're yeah. going gonna to raise the money. And if you don't, you're not. And there was even, mm-hmm. they even had suggestions from people of paying a PR firm to take on their really? case. And the, the father just didn't feel comfortable with that at all, didn't feel right with the idea that the money people were donating was going to another, to a, to a PR company. Wow. Um, and I just thought this was, a, it's a long read and it's, um, it's really kind of eye-opening to how... How how in trouble the healthcare system is in the states that this is what it comes down to. Um, the CEO of the company 
uh, kind of sadly had to say, like, we are the world's largest healthcare company that isn't actually a healthcare company. Wow. Um, so I thought it was a great article. If anyone has a chance to to read it, you can you can get it online for free. I think the New Yorker gives you three free articles a month or something. But it definitely highlights, you know, we talk about industries that want to be disrupted. Um, if you look at two in particular or three in particular, really, uh, healthcare, college tuition, and college textbooks, I think, are the three yeah. um, that I, I I can see right away as being industries that are going to be disrupted heavily over the next 10 years and what are the companies that are going to come in there and, and disrupt those companies I think Amazon's definitely a contender yeah so I was going to say that in the last podcast we definitely talked about the the college side of it so the textbooks mm. and the tuition so what companies then would you see out there that are, are disrupting the healthcare well I'm not sure if anyone's disrupting it just at the moment there's one in our app that I think we're going to talk about a bit later that's trying something a bit mad and um, we'll talk about how that's going but uh, of the bigger companies, Amazon's clearly making inroads into it, or they're 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 trying to get there. They uh, they bought that company Pillpack uh, yeah. last year, which was you know it's it's a bit more down there in their wheelhouse in terms of just being a kind of pharmacy delivery business. Mm. Um, but you know Bezos is working with uh, Warren Buffett and Jamie Dimon at the moment to try and figure out a new form of healthcare, a kind of one of these. Uh, loon shot ideas if you remember the book I uh, mentioned was it two weeks ago yeah so I think like it's definitely it's one of the most interesting industries in the, at the moment particularly in America and I think that article really showed me that it is so ripe for disruption uh, yeah for disruption sorry yeah no healthcare I think mm. it's 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 definitely something ripe for disruption it's definitely an industry that's ripe for disruption there was another book I think we mentioned a few podcasts ago called The Healing of America which is Another really good insight into how the healthcare system in America works. And, you know, with the presidential campaign starting now, I think it's going to be a big focus of attention. Yeah. Um, the Democrats are obviously pushing it as one of their major issues. Um, so, if, I mean, depending on how the election goes, I suppose we could see some major changes coming down the road. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, broken systems, the thing I wanted to talk about at the start of the podcast was Facebook. So as many of you might have read back in February, there was a big article on The Verge written by really good writer Casey Newton, which it kind of went undercover in one of these Facebook content moderation sites. So the first article back in February was uh, based in Phoenix. And he's after publishing a new one in the last few weeks that's based in another site in Tampa, Florida. And really what he does is he's, he interviews a few people who work at these sites who are, so they're Facebook content moderators, but they actually work for a company called Cognizant, which is a, a services outsourcer, I suppose, is probably the best way to describe them. And it's really, you know, it, it's kind of what you expect a job working as a content moderator on a site like Facebook would be. So they're dealing with extremely distressing imagery and videos and things like that. But it's also, which is quite probably more distressing is the kind of work environments they they have to go to work in every day, so they're dealing with filthy workspaces. Performance targets for um, flagging this content, which seem, quite frankly, unachievable. Um, sexual harassment in the workplace, uh, frequent altercations between staff, um, inadequate break times, which includes sick leave. Um, and then there was actually what the, the newest article was based on was one employee actually dying of a heart attack at their desk. So it's a, you know, it, it's, it's not light it reading, but yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty strong or powerful investigative journalism. Um, but there was one part of it that really, really struck with me was the fact that, you know, after the Cambridge Analytica scandal last year and, you know, the, this kind of unravelling of, of Facebook's from a maybe moral side or an ethical side, 
that Mark Zuckerberg came out and he, he made all these promises, you know, he published the, the Facebook content guidelines and, you know, they, he, he made a lot of, he, he stood up in front of the world basically and said that they were going to tackle this problem. But there was a few things in this, this latest article that really stuck out with me. So the first thing was that in terms of how much these people are being paid, content and the, its moderation is, is, according to Facebook, one of its most pressing issues. But moderators in a, a site in Phoenix or in Tampa will make on average about $28,000 a year. Well, the average Facebook employee has a total compensation package about uh, $240,000 a year. The average? Average. So there's a massive discrepancy between, you know, the people who work for Facebook and the people who work for Facebook Facebook one step removed by well, another company. They wouldn't be able to tell everyone they had such a high average wage if they hired them themselves, that's why. Yeah, well, that, that brings me on brilliantly to the second point. So uh, the writer, Casey Newton, really summed up kind of the, the whole problem with this this kind of tackling a problem but not really with this sentence he said if you believe moderation is a high skilled high stakes job that presents unique psychological risks to your workforce you might hire all of those workers as full time employees but if you believe that it's a low skilled job that will not someday be done primarily by algorithms you probably would not and I think that sentence kind of sums up Facebook's attitude to this that they they have a massive problem with you know we saw even after the recent um, massacre in New Zealand that they have a massive problem with controlling the content that goes onto their site, but it's more of an optics or uh, an exercise in optics rather than actually tackling the problem. They're mm. just putting, you know, um, low-paid, low-skilled workers, throwing them at the problem in often very, very kind of unfair and unethical work environments until they they figure out a way to not have to pay anyone to do it. Yeah. It was a grim piece. Uh, sorry, Roy. I, I I read the piece as well, and I just thought it was so dark. And presuming everything that was written is factual and correct, um, yeah. What's brought what kind of brought to my mind was, uh, and bring it to the first person to me, uh, an awareness in me came at a point where I never wanted to eat chicken again that came from a battery. Now you might wonder why. What relevance is that? But you know your awareness of the supply chain of the products that you're consuming. Yeah. And you know you don't want to. Th- think that the chicken that you're just about to devour had at least a, a pretty miserable time on this planet yeah. and and the the analogy I guess that you look at the supply partners the service partners of Facebook and the averages like nearly a quarter of a million dollars salary yeah. and yet in the back room for me it sounded red like it was a battery you yeah. know people are working in conditions that are just not right in this day and age mm. it's, I mean on the moderation side I think this is going to be a problem that we will continue to face for the next 10, 20 years. Yeah. I can't see a way that this is going to solve itself. Um, and of course, it's not a problem exclusive to Facebook. It's probably worth pointing out. It's just it seems to afflict them most or they seem to deal with it in the worst ways. Yeah, maybe. yeah as the biggest platform, they're going to see the most uh, things going on with it. There was an interesting um, case here in Ireland just a few weeks ago where uh, some there was a, a a murder case and the names of it was involving children and the names of the children weren't supposed to be posted yeah. and of course the day after sentencing they were being posted all over facebook yeah and um facebook were pulled up in front of a judge and they their response was well we didn't know the names of the children so how can we possibly stop the names being being published and as much as that sounds like a cheeky answer it's true it's so yeah. hard to stop people going onto these platforms and doing things that they're not supposed to do yeah. without eyes on them constantly and it's never going to happen on a community with 
2.2 billion people. Yeah. What did Tim Cook call it? A chaos factory? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's pretty accurate. So uh, two two slightly darker <laughs> stories to start off the podcast, maybe. Emmett, we're going to move on to company we never talk about. So I hope you're going to lighten the mood. Of oh, it. I sure am. In fact, I'm going to talk about a company we've never spoken about on this podcast at all. And it's also the company I know best uh, possibly ever. And it is okay. my Wall Street so it's a slight deviation from our usual conversation. Um, and it's, it's a story culminating in what I believe to be quite exciting news. Okay. And it's, uh, so the story, I guess, I could, I could describe the birth of my Wall Street at any point in my life, I guess. But I, I'm going to go to 2003 where JT, my co-founder, and I placed a small ad in the Irish Times. And I, I got it out of a box I have at home last night. And it was a very modest headline. It just said, learn how to find and buy stocks and great businesses. Satisfaction guaranteed. And and some details below. And and JT and I had a very simple plan, which was demystify the stock market, teach investing in a way that a child could understand and that anyone could profit from. Uh, and we wanted to create one room full of new stock investors. And that was uh, room was in a, a hotel seminar room. So we, we, we filled the room. 22 people arrived uh, on that day. And it began, I guess, the earliest beginnings of my Wall Street which is the company we went to co-found, went on to co-found 10 years later. Um, so when that event concluded, when the seminar concluded, all 22 participants expressed delight. They did a, you know, a survey if they thought it was useful or are they going to actually go out and buy shares? Um, but they didn't just express delight in their words. Within about two weeks, John and I had received 115 emails from friends and family of attendees inquiring as to when we would do the next seminar. Yeah. When was it scheduled for? So we ran it again and then again and again. And without a further sense spend on advertising, the demand for the events that John and I were, were, were doing grew on its own, which made it clear to us that there was a far bigger need out there. There was a solution out there to be built. Yeah. And I uh, somewhere along that, in that chapter, I think it was a dawning on me and it was a dawning on John that that we were looking at a, a, a seismic change, if you like, in, in what the world needs. So um, 2006, we called a halt to the seminars in order to retract and hatch a bigger plan. And instead of building a business uh, to get a meeting room in a hotel successfully invested, we needed to get the world investing successfully. Um, and uh, to get the world investing successfully, as you well know, is our mission here today. So um, since that very first seminar in 03, by simply obeying my own rule book, mm. I've had the great fortune of beating the S&P 500 market index almost every single year since. So, you know, as, as everyone, I think, who listens knows, I, I eat my own cooking. And today our Learn app is the reincarnation of that very first seminar. And when we were building it, uh, we took a decision that nothing is more altruistic or easier to scale than something like of integrity with no ads, no registration, no cost. And, and I'm so proud that, you know, almost two million people have opened and engaged with a product that only a few people have built uh, in the very first version of my Wall Street when it moved out of mine and JT's kitchens. Uh, Rory, Maeve, uh, Alejandro, and JT and I sat in a room and, and effectively between the five of us built the Learn product. And, yeah. and um, I did first cut, Rory reworded and rewrote the content far more eloquently and added 
a lot of value in, in his thought process and Maeve at that time designed the entire user experience, the look and feel and it's a great product. On the other side, as I think our listeners are well aware, my Wall Street app uh, comes with my lifetime investing experience and it's made all the better with Rory's investment lifetime experience and yours, James. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that for 10 bucks a month in the fullness of time, uh, my Wall Street app will prove to be the best value service that's ever been built. And that is something I'm out to do that in, when I say the fullness of time, I think in 10 and 20 years time, people will look back and go, I can't believe that that was 10 bucks. Yeah. And um, our honest to God best shot goes into picking the stock of the month every month. And, and uh, I guess our, our track history is there to be, uh, you know, uh, audited, observed, watched by anyone. We just put our, um, our thoughts on record and we put it out there. So I guess getting to the point... I'm very delighted to announce that um, with some 16 more years experience, my Wall Street is running a, a very kind of small exclusive event in the next couple of months in Dublin and then in New York, uh, where I'm going to uh, dig deep uh, to impart as much as I can in one day on the subject of beating the market. Okay. And I want to emphasize that this sits perfectly beside uh, Learn and it sits perfectly beside my Wall Street. Uh, you can have a very fulfilling and a hopefully profitable investment life by just living in those two apps yeah. for the rest of your days. But this is for those people who want more. In a way, is it almost like a like a, a crash course of everything that's gone into the my Wall Street app in one day? Plus more, it is Plus indeed, more. James. Yeah. We're thinking 20th September in Dublin, 8th of November in New York. It's the same show twice, so yeah. uh, I wouldn't expect anyone to have interest in both, uh, but they're very welcome, of course. And... and um, we're into the design phase right now and what I'd like to just say is if you would like to be the very first to register for details just email us on seminars at mywallstreet.com Yeah and, and where would we so seminars at mywallstreet.com Exactly There will be obviously a place you can keep up to date with development Yeah well. we're getting there so once someone pops us a mail going yep I'm interested they will be first to know the smaller detail uh, but for now this is something that I'm very excited about because I you know, everyone knows their strengths and they know their weaknesses or you should. And I think I'm happiest when I'm teaching people how to invest. I get enthused by it. I com comprehensively believe in the transformative power of stock investing. And really what uh, I want to achieve on those two days is to uh, relay a lot of stuff people already know, but add a little more colour and detail and really break into, you know, your psyche. I mean, anyone who mm -hmm. listens to this show is already interested. Yeah. And I can assure you that after the seminar that we're going to do, they'll be far more interested and I believe their belief will be higher. So that was our company we never talk about. My Wall Street. <laughs> <laughs> Just happened to be our company. Um, and that that email address again was seminars. Sem seminars at mywallstreet.com. So uh, we'll, we'll make sure to post that address with the show notes as well. Uh, speaking of My Wall Street, there's a lot of new stuff in the My Wall Street app at the minute. Um, we added a new stock of the month last week and a new stock uh, this week. Um, the stock of the month is a well-known company, possibly one of the best-known companies in the world, I would argue. Uh, definitely one of the most powerful brands in the world. And the new company we've added to the app is one of the most exciting companies in the market at the moment, Rory. I think it's one of the most exciting companies that's come out in the last 20 years. I think when, when Rory, you were pitching it to us, you said it's the most important SaaS company at the moment. I think so. I think so. That's, I well, mean, there's so many. Uh, what what counts as important? I suppose. Yeah. But, um, 
I think it's doing something very important and it's going to be a major part of people's lives for a long time to come. Well, there's your there's your encouragement to go and check it out in the My Wall Street app now. So you can check out all of that stuff plus our full market beating list of stocks uh, in the My Wall Street app now. Uh, we're going to move on to Jargon Busters. So this is where we answer some of the investing questions you've sent in to us. Um, Rory, I think we're going to come to you first. So we were talking about um, the healthcare crisis in in the US um, earlier in the show. And one of one of our um, subscribers has written in and asked about Evelyn Health, which is a stock in our app. Yeah, a lot of people have actually written in, and I've, I think I've answered most of them. But we'll do it on we'll do it on air just yeah. to, in case <laughs> anyone else is uh, is wondering. So Evelyn Health is a stock we added must have been maybe a year ago now. Yeah, it had a Evelyn Health is a company that is providing a kind of technological solution for what's called value-based healthcare, okay. um, which I'm not going to get into now because it would take a long time, but if anyone wants to Google value-based healthcare, there's some great articles online. I think the Harvard Business Review did a really in-depth one. And it's it's one of these companies that is basically betting big on a huge change in the way that the way the healthcare is, is, um, is done. Uh, and uh, a real kind of, I'm going to use the word again, loonshot idea, um, and they the stock was performing very well. It was I think up uh, I think it was a double bagger at one point, and then in the last few months it's dipped down, and, and obviously people don't like to see that. Uh, it's the the reason for the dip. I, I suppose the main reason for the dip was that their biggest customer was a healthcare plan called Passport, uh, which was under a bit of pressure, possibly was going to go bankrupt. Uh, it looks like it's not going to go bankrupt anymore, but in in the last month or so, uh, Evelynt ended up uh, signing a definitive agreement with them where they're going to own seventy uh, percent of the company. Okay. Um. So this was definitely a pivot in their strategy. Yeah. Uh, it's something that Wall Street doesn't like to see at all uh, yeah. in terms of uh, a company buying its biggest um its biggest customer. Yeah. Uh, we haven't. A lot of people are asking like, what's have our has our opinion changed in it? Personally, I'm a shareholder of Evelynt. I would have liked to see them uh, rely less on Passport going yeah. forward, not more. So I wasn't particularly happy with the move. But we haven't heard a lot from management about how it's all going to play out yet. So I think we're just going to wait and see until what they say before we kind of go and, and make a knee-jerk reaction, either removing it from the app or changing our opinion um, in a way that in, in a significant way. Yeah, so it's it's just a case of kind of seeing what management have to say maybe at the next uh, earnings call. Yeah, I mean like look it's one again it's one of those companies it's a tiny tiny company um not profitable yet the valuation is based a lot an awful lot on sentiment. So your sentiment can change so fast. We've seen it with a lot of companies in our app uh, we were talking about to you on the last podcast that was just sentiment just just changed on it. Yeah. Um doesn't mean the story's over. Can yeah. the sentiment can change back again? No and problem. Small cap companies, by their nature, are quite yeah. volatile as well. You need to you need to accept that volatility if you're going to invest in companies of that size. Cool, um, Emmett. Next question is for you. So, um, one of our subscribers asked um, in our recent five G play, we added uh, Ericsson to the My Wall Street app. But how how did we arrive at Ericsson over, say, competitors like Nokia? Sure, Nokia lost their way for a while and I think anyone in Nokia would admit that they did indeed lose their foothold for a while and I think Roy you spoke about uh, their loon shots uh, fail not too long ago but uh, Ericsson have a, a complete turnkey solution now they they acquired a German company called Catherine who make um, make antenna systems and, and Ericsson can now walk in to any network provider, Verizon or Vodafone or whoever, and 
roll out, in essence, an entire 5G network as a service, as a turnkey service. And um, I'm familiar with both businesses and I'd have a lot of friends who are very familiar with the products that both offer. And uh, Ericsson had all the signs or most of the signs that I like to see in a big turnaround story. Mm. So Ericsson got a new CEO a couple of years ago. They've divested, you know, non-core interest. They've consolidated their product portfolio, as I said, like by adding Catherine and, and getting rid of some other things. And uh, I just think that uh, they're far better positioned uh, as market leader. I think Nokia are rising to 5G at the moment. Uh, I, I think they've a bit of a way to go yet to catch up with Ericsson from a turnkey and total product offering. Does anyone know what one of the first products Nokia used to produce was? I know this one. Do you know, Gone? It was in Loon Shots. Was it in Loon Shots? Uh, yeah, was it? Toilet I don't know. I, th- I heard it in the pub one. <laughs> I, think. I think it was... It was uh, toilet paper. Toilet paper, toilet yeah. Paper, yeah. It was a pulp mill when it started out. Yeah. So next, let's move on to our elevator pitch. So we were talking about some big tech companies uh, earlier in the podcast. We've also been talking about the kind of the, the proposed breakup of big tech recently. That's been kind of knocking around. Emmett and Rory, my elevator pitch to you guys is if big tech is to break up, what subsidiary would you be most excited about investing in? So if, you know, the Amazons, the Facebooks, the, the Googles are, are forced to break up, mm-hmm. which of those subsidiaries would you like to see spun off into another company and then you would invest in? Rory, we'll come to you first. Um, yeah, there's loads of good options there, isn't there? I'm like, only giving you 30 you think, seconds. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just to cut across you. Right, I'll, <laughs> I'll cut down on my intro. So uh, the one I would pick would be Google's self-driving car division, Waymo. I know, or I think I'm realistic enough to know that self-driving cars aren't going to be all around the country in the next year, as Elon Musk said a couple of months ago. Uh, but I do think they are the future. Um, and I think the company, Waymo, are so far ahead of everyone else when it comes to the research and development of this software. And I think it's going to be automation or automobile travel is going to be a software play going in the future. Yeah. The hardware can be replicated by by big te- by big car companies it's going to be the technology behind it that, that sells and the safest most well researched software will win out yeah. okay cool so that's Waymo the vision of Alphabet uh, Emmett what subsidiary would you like to invest in well interesting I'm going to the same hunting ground as Rory and I'm going to go for a small business that Google acquired 13 years ago for 1.6 billion dollars which at the time I thought was crazy and it's YouTube Okay. and the reason I would buy shares in YouTube without actually knowing the fundamentals below it at the moment is that uh, there are very very few people if any I know under the age of 50 who don't use it regularly plus they have clearly monetized the platform um, with adverts and, and when you look at other things that 70% of a person's media time is spent with their smartphone uh, YouTube really they're king Okay, cool. So that we have two two divisions of Alphabet, um, Waymo and YouTube. Colm, scooch over towards the microphone there. If you had to pick one of those pitches, which would you go for? Um, I'd have to say Waymo. Waymo. Yeah, it seems like there's more space to more space to grow, and uh, it is the future. Whether maybe Uber or Lyft might have a yeah. say in that is a, another question. But 
I'll go way more. Yeah, well, we're a smart guy. Well, it is yeah. it's very future relevant. It's very, very future relevant. Yeah, and surely, like with Google Maps, all the data they must have from that should play in, or is that? Yeah, I mean, they've a lead, they have a leadership already before they even got into the um, to the driverless car space. But um, a little fact from Goldman Sachs: they predict robo taxis will go from a five billion dollar business in re- uh, in revenue to two hundred eighty five billion dollars by two thousand thirty. So. So in the next eleven years, yeah, as part of the whole ride-sharing business. Okay, I'll go wow. Waymo too. <laughs> uh, so that's about it from this week's stock club. Don't forget, there's loads of great new stuff in the My Wall Street app at the moment, and also that if you want to find out more about our future seminars, just shoot us an email at seminars at mywallstreet.com. The email will be included in the show notes. If there's anything you'd like us to discuss or talk about in the next episode of Stock Club, make sure to get in touch. You can reach us on Twitter at mywallstreet or email us on pod at mywallstreet.com. That's P-O-D at mywallstreet.com. If you enjoy Stock Club, make sure to review it or rate it on your podcast player too. We'd really appreciate it. From all of us here, see you in two weeks and happy investing. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamline my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.